Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome back to another episode of the All In for Citrus podcast. I am your host, Taylor Hillman. This is the November episode and it's packed with updates from all aspects of citrus production. Citrus Research and Extension Center Director Dr. Michael Rogers starts the episode by addressing a recent article from a mainstream media outlet with the input that they had in the report. We also get an update on research that's looking into attacking the Asian citrusilid from the inside out, drones that are saving growers time and money, and a recent nutrition program that the University of Florida sent out with growers to get samples back from the industry. We've got a lot of content in this episode. Let's get right to it. Here's Ernie Neff. Hi, I'm Ernie Neff. I'm with Michael Rogers, Director of the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Ernie. An article came out by the Washington Post here recently titled, The End of Florida Orange Juice with a Question Mark. A Lethal Disease is Devastating the State's Citrus Industry. You've had some reaction and media calls regarding this and some input from the industry, right? Uh, yes, Ernie, and, and of course the title is pretty sensational. It's gotten a lot of interest um, by a lot of media outlets, especially um, after the stories come out by the Washington Post. And um, We hosted a reporter from the Washington Post back in July of this year, um, Daryl Fears, who wrote the article that you mentioned. Um, Daryl had picked up on some news stories that were uh, in the media following some different research um, findings that were published both in Florida and elsewhere and um, got interested in doing a story on the Florida citrus industry. And so they contacted us wanting to come down and, and do a story to find out how things were going. And, and of course, I think they um, had in their mind that, you know, things were, it was kind of the end of the Florida citrus industry. A lot of people, you hear that when you talk to people, especially outside of Florida. Um, but, but our hope in that, the article in meeting with Daryl and, and showing him around and getting him to interact with growers is to see that, um, you know, there are some rays of hope. There's some good things going on out in the industry. Uh, so it's not all bad, but, um, you know, obviously there are some struggles that growers are dealing with. And I think he did a good job of balancing, you know, both the struggles and some of the reasons to be optimistic. Michael, I saw one figure that jumped at me. He quoted that was in there that more than 7,000 farmers grew citrus in 2004, and since then nearly 5,000 have dropped out. Uh, I asked where he got that, and it turned out it was actually from the University of Florida IFAS. Yes, and, th and the first thing I did was actually I double-checked the numbers as well because they seem pretty shocking to me, uh, but the numbers apparently do pan out, and I guess it's not a surprise because, you know, our industry's made up a lot of growers, both large and small and, you know, for the smaller growers, HLB is a very tough disease. Um, it, it, we've had to change completely how we grow citrus. Um, it's not something that you grow and walk away. It takes a lot of time and effort. Um, and really, over the decade that we've been dealing with greening, or more than a decade, um, we've learned a lot and we have new ways to deal with the disease. But, you know, unfortunately, we didn't know that 15 years ago. So growers could do the, do have better practices in place when the disease first showed up. So, um, and it's not the fault of the small grower who's gone out of business. I mean, we didn't know all the information we do now. And so, yeah, I think a lot of the smaller growers we're seeing have, have struggled to stay in business, and, and that's reflected in those numbers. Michael, he quoted you several places, including a quote here, 
Michael Rogers, we're in a race right now to save the Florida citrus industry, and I think we all know that within the industry. You want to tell us about some of those ways that the university and others are struggling or fighting to save the industry? Yeah, so um, obviously uh, you've heard us talk a lot, even in past podcasts, about some of the advances in research, things that we're doing that are making a difference in rehabilitating or turning around groves that are affected by HLB. And in the article, um, Daryl uh, hits on some of those those uh, areas that are important, I think, where we've made some good advances. Um, he t- rehashed starting back when we understood or learn for the first time that HLB uh, affects the root system. And everybody in Florida knows the story. It's probably not well known outside of Florida, but that really changed how we have uh, proceeded going forward to manage HLB. Um, We look at, in our breeding program, developing root stocks now that are more tolerant of HLB. Uh, How we manage the root health, whether it's um, you know, the fertilization practices, you know, applying, he talks a little bit about tryptivashist work, uh, looking at spoon feeding the trees with nutrients to give them what they need, um, taking up what the plants can use at the time. Um, so he hits some of the things that we're doing now that are making a difference. And there's a lot more work that's going on at UF. Uh, obviously, this, this story <laughs> doesn't even, it's not even the tip of the iceberg of what all we're doing research-wise. But um, I think it's important for folks to, to outside of Florida especially to understand that there's a lot of things that have been done that are helping to sustain the industry. And uh, so that's what we wanted to relay is that there, there are some reasons to be hopeful um, uh, as we move forward as an industry. You know, one thing else that jumped at me, Triptivashish's work, and where it notes that they recommended spoon feeding and, and regular irrigation like daily irrigation or much more frequent nutrition and irrigation, that's been a real key to a lot of growers, hasn't it? Yes, absolutely. And and it's not just uh, Tripti Vashish, but the others in our soil and water sciences who have done a lot of that work. Um, and it's been really important for us to understand how we can how we can keep those diseased trees healthy and producing fruit. And of, and of course, those 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 recommendations that are coming out, they're constantly being um, improved upon based on research from others like Kelly Morgan, David Katiampakini, and others um, as they're learning how to balance, how to fine-tune those nutrition recommendations um, so growers can be more effective in their fertilization and irrigation practices. And we've mentioned it before, in fact, that uh, a new citrus nutrition guide is coming out very soon where some of the recommendations um, have been updated to reflect the current needs and situation that we are going through right now with HLB. You and I were talking a little bit about the Post reporter quoted a couple of growers who have rolled the dice, uh, he termed in the case of one of them. And you mentioned that there are many growers who are still in the business who are more positive. Yeah, I think um, when you look at where we were, say, five or six years ago, we were in a downward trend in our fruit yields. And and now, as, as growers have been implementing, they've been refining their practices, and we're seeing the yields turn around, um, there is a lot more optimism. And uh, a lot of growers are, are seeing the yields go back up. Um, and so I think a lot of it um, has to do with the partnership that we have with growers. Um, we don't have all the answers in IFAS, but we take the research that we do and we help growers translate it, that into something that's usable in their groves. And so it's not always one recommendation that fits everybody, 
but we're working with the growers, and I think it's a really important partnership for the future. Is it's not just the research, it's not just growers. We work together and develop those solutions that can be used by everybody. Any final thoughts wrapping this all up? Yeah, well, um, you know, in the end, I, I this article, like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I think it's a it's a well balanced article. Um, it's not all uh, a rosy picture for us in the Florida industry right now. We're struggling uh, to stay uh, stay profitable. Um, you know, obviously now probably some of the bigger problems we're faced with have to do with uh, supply and demand. Uh, you know, we've got issues as we're seeing those numbers go back up in yields. Um, the prices are dropping because of the supply issues. So um, there's there's an economics piece of this puzzle now that's coming into play. Um, but for us in IFAS, our goal is to keep on advancing the research and probably more than ever trying to find ways to make things more economical for growers. And so we continue to work with that goal in mind of, of uh, providing solutions or uh, tools for growers to help cut costs and stay in business. Excellent. Michael, thank you. Thank you, Ernie. Thanks, Ernie and Dr. Michael Rogers, for starting us off for this episode. Joining me now is Osgar Badaman, Assistant Professor from the Southwest Florida Research and Extension Center. Osgar, we've talked before about your research, but let's just start there and recap it. Um, you're looking at something very interesting. You're looking at the gut of the Asian citrus psyllid to isolate some diseases in, in there. Is that correct? Well, Tyler, yes. Thank, thank you very much for your interest in our research subject. And uh, yes, you are not far off. Uh, we are interested in uh, Asian, uh, Asian citrus psyllid's uh, gut microbiome and specifically viruses that we may find in those guts. And what you're looking at is the possibility of having a virus that will affect the Asian citrus psyllid in, in some way, whether it be, you know, uh, killing it or immobilizing it or affecting the transmission of the HLB. You're looking at something like that to be a biological control for this problem, right? Correct. Absolutely. Um, and this, this strategies that you alluded at actually is summarizing up why we are doing this uh, research uh, project. Uh, we just wanted to identify viruses that might be used as a viral uh, vector that could be delivered to psyllids uh, to uh, either uh, kill them or alter their biological cycle. Like, for instance, we can, we can send... Um, viral vector that harboring some of the um, RNAs that is uh, matching the uh, wing formation or, uh, you know, leg formation genes that still it may have, we can, uh, you know, silence those genes uh, to make the um, still it's life uh, not as forward as it, it is now. So what are some of the results you found so far? I mean, I imagine that you guys had to start looking at Florida ACP to look at some viruses there, right? Correct. And, and this is um, actually is uh, similar to what uh, Dr. Bryce Polk uh, at UC Davis initiated some time ago. And in his research, uh, his group identified uh, about five viruses and uh, guts of uh, ACPs that collected from um, different parts of the world, including Taiwan, China, Hawaii, and uh, one from Florida as well. So um, in their studies, they identified these five viruses, and we were interested to know 
whether all these viruses previously identified are actually exist in Florida ACP populations here in Florida as well. So what's next after you've isolated some of these? They Some are, are a little bit more um, found uh, in, in populations than others. Some do some different things to the insect. What's next for you guys in this research project? Well, um, it's, uh, first of all, it is exciting. That's, uh, and it's not surprising, by the way, that we are finding a lot of viruses. We not only found on those uh, previously known five viruses in the but we also identified a number of um, viral sequences, uh, implying that there are many other viruses uh, living inside the guts of this ACP. Um, our next step would be to um, you know, try to understand whether these viruses are good or bad for psyllid. And if it's good, can we change or reverse that and make them bad so they can maybe paralyze these insects or kill them? Or if it's bad, can we take these viruses and uh, make it more widespread among the population in Florida to reduce the number of ACPs that are transmitting, transmitting this um, bacterium causing HLB disease? Let's talk about the big picture here. I mean, so basically this is a, a biological control, if you guys can make this happen. And... You know, people ask why that's important. Well, because it's reducing the amount of chemicals we're putting out there, right? Absolutely. You got that right, Tyler. Unfortunately, the uh, only um, control measures that we can use in Florida effectively is chemical spray to reduce the psyllid uh, populations in our growth. And using... Um, you know, extensive amount of insecticide is not only impacting environment, negatively in impacting environment, but also repeated use of the same uh, mode of action chemicals uh, leads to development of resistant, uh, insecticide resistant in this population. So we definitely need an alternative control for the psyllid. And the biological control is one of those alternatives that is promising. Uh, another promising um, and exciting uh, uh, control strategy is actually is being tested these days are um, citrus, um, you know, protection, protecting the citrus from psyllid by excluding them uh, using sort of net. And you may already heard of the COPS or IPC. Uh, COPS uh, stands for Citrus Under Protective uh, Screen. And IPC stands for individual protective covers that's been used to protect young citrus trees from um, colonization of the psyllid and uh, getting infected uh, with this uh, bacterium. I think when most people um, think about biological controls, they think about tamarixia or they think about a... a predation pest, they don't think about the fact that these viruses could work to their favor, and that's that's what we're looking at here. Yes, you are correct. Uh, there are a number of um, uh, predators here uh, present in our growth, and um, those include Asian lady beetle, metallic blue lady beetle, uh, spotless hybrid uh, ladybird beetle, and ash gray lady beetle. Uh, so they are all exist in our backyards here, including uh, green lace wings. Those are very beneficial, not only for psyllids, but other insects that are causing damages uh, in our citrus growth. So 
uh, if you reduce the amount of chemical that we use or we use on specific, not the broad, um, uh, you, you know, um, spectrum insecticide, we may protect this uh, biological control agent. And parasitoid tamaraxia uh, radiata is very effective. Uh, what that uh, um, we would like to uh, protect because they are doing excellent job in parasitizing and killing uh, some of the ACPs that we are not able to control with the chemical spray. Very interesting. And and you mentioned it with the resistance. We, I mean, we are seeing resistance. So development and looking into these biologicals is, is going to be critical to, to keep control efforts up, right? Absolutely. Um, it is never right to rely on only one strategy to control um, the pests and pathogens. It is always, always um, recommended and advisable that we use different strategies and even uh, not only strategies um, that it has to be rotated. Uh, the chemicals that we are using, for instance, in the chemical uh, control strategies has to be rotated. So uh, uh, altogether, uh, chemical control, biological control, and physical barriers, uh, those are the, uh, you know, uh, parts of the IPM uh, strategy. So we have to use, actually, integrated pest management, IPM strategy to control this disease in Florida um, and California and Texas. Dr. Bataman, I appreciate it, and thanks for your time today and the update. Absolutely. Anytime, Tyler. Now we'll head back to Ernie Neff for an update on a recent nutrition sampling program. I'm with Tripti Vishisht, a horticulturist at the Citrus Research and Education Center. Welcome, Tripti. Thank you, Ernie. You recently completed a series of meetings around the Florida Citrus Belt, handing out what we call starter kits for sampling for nutrition to growers. Tell us how that went. Yes, so we just finished uh, last week giving out the boxes or the nutrition kits. Altogether, we had four meetings throughout the state, starting from early October, and um, we had a good turnout of the growers, and there was a lot of interest. In addition to giving away the boxes, we talked about general nutrition practices and things that grower needs to know for managing trees under HLB-prevalent condition. And then we also talked about how this whole nutrition box program will work. So um, we had a very uh, detailed uh, discussion about the whole program and nutrition in, at these events. How many boxes did you wind, out, wind up giving out? So we have given out about 110 boxes, which 110 boxes is pretty good for for our industry at this point, I think, because uh, there were some limitations and there were also uh, upper limit of the number that we can give out to one corporation because we want to work with all the growers. So we limited it to three per company. That, that's why we have, we could reach out to each and every grower and we wanted to work with them. So we had a limited number, but 110 is pretty good. I'm really hopeful that with these 110 boxes, if we can go through the whole program, that will be really good and that will be very encouraging. For and us. of course, 
we've got to remember many growers have already been doing this sampling on them their own anyway, so a lot of these 110 are probably new guys that haven't done it regularly, right? Exactly. That's what we are hoping, that these 110 are the ones that were not doing it that often as we are asking and that's why it's a good outreach for us because now we are able to work with some growers are as small as 20 acres so it will be really good for us as this program is developing that uh, we can work with big small every um, acreage level growers and show the importance of nutrition you want to give credit for where the money was coming from for this. Yes, I do want to thank uh, Citrus Initiative, which is through state legislature, the money that will be used to pay the nutrient analysis for the leaf in the soil because it's a big amount. And uh, that is one of the most important pieces for this program to work, that somebody's paying for those. Excellent. I think you told me that some or many of the growers who picked it up their boxes have already sent in some leaf samples? Yes. Uh, actually, uh, we have received some of the samples. We'll be meeting in mid-November to discuss the first set of results. In this meeting, Dr. Davy Kadiempikeni, myself, and the extension agent for that county will be meeting and discussing the leaf and soil results to develop recommendations to the based on those results and then we'll be sending out to the growers um, they should expect to receive it sometime again in mid-november those results okay. and um, yeah it is uh, just to tell you that there was there's a lot of enthusiasm we had our first meeting on october 8th we got some leaf samples as soon as october 20 there were people who were sending in so uh, i'm really happy to see that our growers are interested in this program good that shows they we're anxious to get into it. And I think when you give the recommendations or when you go back for the second round, you're going to ask them if they followed your recommendations, right? Yes, yes. And that is a very important part for this whole program to work is that we will look at the leaf, leaf results and we make recommendations for the next quarter. Then when uh, we will be sending out reminders to the grower to take the next sampling, and when we send out our results for the next sampling or the recommendation, we really need to know if I asked or if we asked them to apply X amount of zinc, did they apply it or not? Because it should be reflected in their leaf results and we need to know that. And if it is not, then we need to get to the root of that problem that why is it not being reflected? So we will be asking that if they were able to follow the recommendation and if not, then again, as a researcher, with my researcher head, I want to know why and if there's anything that we can do to work out. I think there's a total of, what, four leaf samples throughout the season? Yes, there will be four leaf samples throughout the season starting from November, three months apart. So this whole program will end in November of 2020. And we are asking for only one soil sample which will be at the beginning, so we know what the soil status is. Anything you'd like to add? Like always, um, trees need uh, attention and good management can help them in being productive. One final question, and I think you've already indicated you're very pleased with the 
participation by the growers so far? Yes, it is. And it is a statement for the industry that our growers are interested in these type of programs. And it's a true collaboration between growers and universities. So we have the growers bringing in their samples and then the research and extension from universities working with them to keep our citrus industry uh, productive. Tripti, thank you. Thank you. To wrap up today's episode, we're talking with Giannis Ampazidis, an assistant professor of agriculture and biological engineering at the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. Giannis, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Taylor, for uh, inviting me. Hey, so we're talking about AgroView. It is some technology that you're working on over there. Give me a um, brief rundown of what this system is and what it does. So, yeah, we're working on this system for the last um, year, year and a half. It uses data, images collected from um, drones, UAVs, and it's a cloud-based tool to visualize the data and make some, use some, um, or convert this data to some useful information for the grower. So, for example, growers don't have to walk around the fields nowadays, so they can use a drone, collect some images, but uh, what I see the gap is like what we really do with these images and the maps that we can create from um, from drones. So this is what AgroView does. So we can, for example, we can, uh, the growers can use this tool to count trees, uh, maybe find uh, any gaps, or even detect um, problems in the field, like pest presence or even diseases. So it can kind of be an an all-encompassing monitoring of your um, trees and any issues that you have. Are you guys only using drones here? Are there other things you guys are using? So far, we are using drones, but we can uh, use data from any aerial platform. It can be airplanes or even satellite images. But we have the best data, actually better resolution with um, drones. And they're very uh, low cost nowadays. So you can buy a drone with $1,000 and you can fly any any day that you want, any time. So it's very convenient and um, that's why we try to use drones and develop some low-cost solution for the growers. It's just looking at this logistically, um, like you were talking about before we started recording here, was this growers need to know the amount of trees that they have and the gaps for um, like insurance agencies, right? Exactly. For insurance purposes, now they need to report um, more detailed information to them, the companies, to the insurance companies, the growers. So what they need to do, for example, is um, uh, provide a number of trees and may and probably categorize them based on their age for all the fields that they own. And this is uh, something very, very difficult to do here in Florida. Uh, because of citrus greening. So growers had to remove a lot of trees or a lot of trees died. So we have a lot of gaps. So it takes a lot of time. And of course, it's very, very expensive to count trees from the ground. So even to count trees uh, from um, maps, this is also very time consuming. So that's why we developed this um, tool, which uses artificial intelligence to do to detect and count all the trees and also measure the height of the tree and the canopy size. So we have, at the end, we have the volume of the tree. 
That's very good. It sounds like it would save a lot of time. You're right with those gaps. Um, it would be a little hard to make that calculation. So this is able to go in there and determine how many trees you have and give you the size, like you mentioned at the end. Um, if someone, if some growers are looking at implementing some of these technologies or at least getting familiar with it, um, can they, can they, where can they look into more for this? So here in Florida, uh, we can go and fly, and uh, we are doing that for the last year. Uh, we flew in at least 10 different farms. Uh, so we can go and fly for them and create these maps. Uh, again, it's, uh, the software is um, cloud-based, so you, they have access um, to the software uh, with the username and password. It's very interactive. Um, growers can... Um, choose to display specific categories of the trees. For example, they can choose to display trees that are less than seven feet tall or trees that they belong that are between seven and 12. So also we develop a health uh, map, status map. So based on the, this is the combination of health and leaf density. So they can, uh, based on this map, they can identify areas in the field that they, they need improvement or there are some issues in this area. If they have their own drones, they can go and fly, and then uh, we have, again, the tools that they can upload all the images in our server, in our software, where we can um, analyze all the data. And again, everything is automated. So the goal of this system is to be user-friendly and also to make it very easy for the growers or any consulting companies to uh, upload maps that they uh, they have collected using their own drones. Yeah, it sounds very easy, and that is a, a key thing when you're trying to get growers to take a look at this kind of stuff. Now, useful for producers now, but uh, you're looking at some extra stuff with this going forward, in, including possibly predicting yield? Exactly. This is um, the next tool, and we're working on with that. We, did, we use some advanced um, statistical tools to do it and machine learning, artificial intelligence. So the goal is to pre early predict yield, uh, even few months or several months uh, before harvest, using just the data collected from uh, drones. And um, the more the information we have, the better. So for example, if we have soil maps, we can also visualize and display the soil maps in the software. Um, if we know the varieties and rootstock varieties, that will also help a yield prediction. Uh, this is one tool that we are working right now. Another tool is to develop um, prescription maps for variable rate technologies applications. So you can download these maps, you can put it in your um, variable rate technology, and that will change the amount that you spray, let's say, for uh, pest control or for diseases uh, in your field. And what we are trying to do right now in um, Florida is to control uh, citrus cancer. That's a good example of a variable rate uh, application. So first goal in this application is to develop the prescription map. So you don't need to apply the same rate in the entire field. Uh, and again, citrus canker is a good example because what we see in the field uh, is that uh, some areas are very infected and some areas in the field you don't see any symptoms. So the first goal is to develop these maps, and I think that tool will help us to do that. And the second step is to install that in the variable rate 
player. So you need to have a viable rates player. And we are working also to develop a viable rates player for cities right now. So in the end, with that development, by having that information and a variable rate like you're talking about, that ultimately that saves product and uh, saves the grower some money. Exactly. Exactly. That's the goal. Uh, we don't need to spray with the same amount in the dire field. The same can be, um, can be done for um, micronutrients, for example. If the growers spray any foliar applications, actually, uh, we can develop our prescription maps for all these applications. Very good. And this is not uh, just for citrus, although we are doing this for the citrus podcast. You guys also um, are developing this for a couple other crops and looking into more? Correct. So far, we're working with um, vineyards and uh, sugarcane. Um, we have some good results with um tomatoes, uh, so vegetables. So where the goal is a little bit different, we target um, plant development and growth, but also disease detection. So we are able to detect specific diseases in the field. And uh, the goal is to go to use the system for even pistachios, almonds, and uh, in general other three crops, starting with from three crops, three fruit crops, and then going to vegetables and uh, other uh, arable crops like wheat, soybean, cotton. We have some uh, experiments right now going with um, some wheat breeders, um, but we we didn't use this tool, but we are developing something similar. Giannis, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Taylor. We want to say thanks to all of the researchers for making time for this episode today. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to be notified when a new episode is published. And if you like what you heard today, share it with a friend or colleague. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we will be back next month for another edition of the All In for Citrus podcast. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. 